You're listening to the Paleo NP podcast, episode number 23. Welcome to the Paleo NP Podcast. I'm Martha, a family nurse practitioner and creator of MarthaFlorence.com. I live in Anchorage, Alaska with my boyfriend and fur children. I'm here to share my take on integrative health, nutrition, and fitness, answer your questions, and talk with health and wellness experts. You can submit your questions at MarthaFlorence.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Remember that the materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, so I think that this is going to be the last episode all about adrenal fatigue. When I started talking about this, I had no idea that there would be so much to say. So here we are on the third episode of adrenal fatigue. I do think that it's important to go through all of this, though, because there are so many misconceptions about adrenal fatigue. And as I said in the first episode, we're constantly learning new things. So in another few years, we may have a completely different understanding of what's happening. I also think that because of all the misinformation that's out there about what's actually going on, that leads to a lot of misinformation about how to fix it. And then I think because of the internet, which don't get me wrong, I love, there is the potential for a lot of harm to be done in the way that you go about fixing adrenal fatigue and really every other health condition or illness out there. And while I don't deny that there is a lot of high quality information available, and I love it when my clients and my patients educate themselves about what's happening in their bodies and what they can do about it, but I absolutely do not think that Google or anyone's blog, mine included, is a substitute for working with somebody on your health conditions. Whether it's someone you see virtually or someone you see in person, the internet doesn't replace healthcare practitioners. The experience and expertise that I use to write a blog post or even to create this podcast just doesn't translate to working one-on-one because the context and specific personal situations matter so much, and you just can't account for all of that when you're writing a blog post. And some of what I mean by this will be a little more obvious in some of the things I'm going to talk about in today's episode. I was just doing a presentation for a group all about autoimmunity, and I got a lot of disease-specific questions, and one of the things that I said to them was that I tend to make patient-specific recommendations, not disease-specific recommendations, because everyone is so different in who they are and how they're feeling. So it's hard for me to make specific recommendations based on a disease without knowing more about the person. Anyway, let's get into some adrenal fatigue or HPA access dysregulation recovery mistakes. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes in this series, so that would be episodes 19 and 20, I would encourage you to go back and do that now because I'm not going to cover any of the basics here. So those episodes covered what adrenal fatigue actually is because the way that we've understood it and understood what's going on has changed a lot over the past few years and then what you can actually do about it. So the first mistake when it comes to adrenal fatigue recovery is relying too much on lab testing and using the wrong kind of testing. So as we talked about in episode 19, saliva testing, which is commonly used to test for adrenal fatigue, only a small fraction of the free cortisol is actually measured by this method, so it's not really an accurate representation of what's going on in your body. Studies have found that it's more common for people who have low free cortisol to actually either have normal or high total cortisol. One of the major reasons for low free cortisol and high total cortisol can actually be obesity. So treating someone based on lab results doesn't accurately reflect the big picture, and that's not going to be the best approach in my mind. 
what kind of test you use also matters. So as I said, the saliva testing isn't really all that accurate because while you do get a pattern over the course of the day, which may be helpful to know, you don't get an accurate representation of whether or not you actually have high or low cortisol. Blood testing is kind of useless in this situation because it only gives you a tiny snapshot of what your cortisol is at this very moment, and it tells you nothing about the pattern, which is actually more useful information. Uh, you could also do a 24-hour urine cortisol, which would give you the most accurate representation of your total cortisol output, but it tells you nothing about the pattern. Currently, my preferred method is a Dutch test, which is kind of the best of both worlds with the saliva test and the 24-hour urine. So you get four or five urine samples at a specific time throughout the day, and you get all of the information about the metabolites that you would have gotten from a 24-hour urine, but you also get the overall pattern like you would from a saliva test, but it's more accurate. That being said, the symptoms a person is experiencing are actually more important than any lab testing in this case, and your treatment should be adjusted based on those and not your lab tests. The second common mistake in adrenal fatigue recovery is the misuse of supplements. This occurs for several reasons, but one of the major reasons is that natural compounds act very differently than prescription drugs because the body doesn't always metabolize non-natural compounds such as prescription drugs, so you can get toxicity at high doses. You can get toxicity at high doses of supplements too, but it's much less straightforward than with prescription medications. Then you also have the issue that there is not a well-established standard dose for many of these supplements. So the RDA, which is the recommended dietary allowance, is set up to make sure that about 97% of the population gets just enough of all of these nutrients, which means that not only is there 3% of the population that those dosages won't be enough for or will be too much for, but getting just enough isn't necessarily the right approach, especially when you're dealing with illness or even looking to maintain optimal health. There's also not a lot of good research on the upper level or potential for toxicity with a lot of supplements. We do have this information for some, but overall the lack of information means a lack of standardization. And it's difficult to determine upper limits since our bodies are often more able to handle higher doses of things like vitamin supplements because our bodies actually metabolize them more effectively than something like a prescription medication. The optimal dose needed to achieve therapeutic results is different from person to person too, which can make dosing even more challenging. There's also a difference in the availability of nutrients depending on the delivery system and the quality of the supplements, which isn't information that's necessarily available on the label. So lower quality nutritional supplements are less effective than high quality ones, but also it's hard to determine what that means because more expensive doesn't always mean higher quality. I'd also add to this that overuse of supplements in general can be an issue, and this is often related to issues with absorption and gut health, because throwing a ton of supplements at someone when their gut is compromised and can't absorb them isn't actually helpful. This can also make figuring out what dose and delivery system is best challenging because you may not actually be absorbing them, whereas if you did some work on your gut health first, you'd be able to use a lower dose or a different delivery system. Inappropriate use of nutritional supplements can slow recovery, but can also lead to worsening conditions over time. There are a lot of places to go wrong in selecting the right form of the right nutrients and the right delivery system to be given at the right time. And this isn't meant to scare you, but to help you understand 
that when your friends in your Whole30 Facebook group tell you to take ashwagandha and B vitamins to heal your adrenal fatigue, doing that with a shotgun approach is not the best idea. Let's talk about a few errors that are related to selecting the right compound. A lot of people assume that because most supplements are quote unquote natural, that that means that they're safe. But long-term use of nutrients that are stimulating can actually lead to some withdrawal issues. I mean, look at how addicted to caffeine people are, and that's considered a natural compound. A lot of supplements used in treating adrenal fatigue are stimulating, in the case of HPA access dysregulation. So things like ginseng, licorice, ashwagandha, maca, vitamin B5, and vitamin B12, which in theory seems like they would be good to take, right? And the reason that they're often recommended is that they help your body to create more energy. But there's a problem with this, and that is that when you take these compounds and start to feel more energetic, you often interpret this as a sign that you're recovering. And as you take them for longer, your body actually requires higher doses to maintain the same energy level, which is kind of a classic symptom of addiction. So then you stop taking them and the fatigue comes back. And this actually has the potential to be worse than it was before you started taking the supplements. And this further taxes your HPA access, which can actually make your adrenal fatigue worse. There's also the issue that these natural compounds can behave differently at different doses. Vitamin C is an antioxidant and something that's commonly recommended for those who suffer from adrenal fatigue. At high doses in some people, you can go through a period of deterioration after initially feeling better. There are actually several theories about why this happens, and I don't have any good evidence for it, but one of them is that the influx of vitamin C helps your body chelate heavy metals from your system, and that makes you feel pretty crappy. The other good example of this is melatonin. So melatonin is actually much more effective in some people at very low doses, so 0.3 milligrams instead of the more standard dose of 3 to 30 milligrams. There's also what's called a paradoxical reaction, which can happen with any medication, but occurs differently in different people with natural compounds too. So vitamin C can make some people feel calm and others feel anxious, and this can also depend on the dose. The metabolic state and internal environment within your body also changes during your recovery process, so this can affect the dosing that you might need. A clinician who understands the many ups and downs of the recovery process will be able to anticipate this and help to adapt your plan to avoid taking too many steps back. This also goes for making blanket recommendations for supplements throughout the whole recovery process because that can actually have a negative effect overall. You can end up putting more stress on your adrenals or not dosing supplements high enough and deprive your HPA access of the nutrients it needs when it needs them the most. Usually when you're in an up cycle, so when you're feeling good, you may need fewer nutrients from supplements. But as you approach the bottom of a valley, you might need more. This is not a linear process and really should not be approached in a linear way. This leads me to my next mistake, and that is the excessive use of prescription medications. This often happens as a result of working with inexperienced clinicians. And I don't say this as a criticism because, as I've mentioned before, the conventional medical world doesn't really understand adrenal fatigue and often seeks to treat symptoms because that's just the way that system works. Symptoms are classified as diseases, and controlling the symptoms in that model is considered disease control. A good example of this is high blood pressure or hypertension. More than 90% of hypertension is classified as essential hypertension, so that means that we don't really know what causes it, and the only thing that we can do is to treat the symptoms, so the high blood pressure itself. 
in the case of HPA access dysregulation, as I've already said, paying attention to the symptoms is an incredibly valuable tool. Just like pain is a warning sign from our body that something is wrong and making the pain go away with medications doesn't actually cure the condition that causes the pain, making the symptoms of adrenal fatigue go away doesn't actually cure the adrenal fatigue. This is why addressing stress and lifestyle issues is so important, but also why giving your body the tools it needs to heal is important as well. Medications such as thyroid hormone, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, sleep medications, hormones, steroids, and antibiotics are all common medications that are given in an attempt to relieve the symptoms of adrenal fatigue. Treating hypothyroid without addressing the underlying adrenal fatigue can backfire big time. If you have concurrent hypothyroid and adrenal fatigue and are started on thyroid medication, you might feel better initially but the thyroid medication essentially increases your metabolic rate, which actually causes your adrenals to work harder when your system is already struggling. So adrenal fatigue can also reduce the availability of thyroid hormone, causing a person to remain symptomatic even though they're on medications. And this can lead to an increase in medication, which further stresses the system. Now, I'm not saying that taking thyroid medication if and when you have adrenal fatigue is a bad thing. It's just more complicated than taking the medication and sending the person off into the world. I briefly mentioned earlier that some people can have what's called a paradoxical reaction to a medication. The best example I can give of this is when kids get really hyper after taking Benadryl instead of falling asleep like you hope they will. Although it's not really understood why, paradoxical reactions are more common with natural compounds, and often the more decompensated or sick that you are, the more frequently you'll experience one. Failure to recognize these reactions is another huge issue with adrenal fatigue recovery protocols. What is right for one person can actually be very wrong for another. Some common paradoxical reactions and abnormal reactions include a sudden onset of anxiety or feeling of impending doom, sudden onset of heart palpitations even though your cardiac function is normal, which usually is felt as though your heart is skipping a beat, dizziness or lightheadedness at rest, fluctuations in blood pressure, being constipated instead of having loose stools at higher doses of vitamin C or magnesium, or feeling worse or anxious after taking a supplement. Paradoxical reactions are often the reason that self-directed recovery programs fail because if you aren't working with a clinician who understands these things, they often go unrecognized and you might think that these feelings or reactions are normal and not put the connection together with the supplements that you may be taking. These reactions can also get mixed up with the normal peaks and valleys of recovery or an overall worsening state of health, which can make figuring out what is causing what more challenging, even for somebody who is knowledgeable in this area. I mentioned earlier that treating hypothyroidism when there's an underlying adrenal fatigue problem can be problematic, and this is another adrenal fatigue recovery mistake, so not being able to recognize when many systems or organs are involved. The HPA axis is closely tied in with the ovarian, adrenal, and thyroid axis in women, and all of these organs depend on each other for optimum functioning, and they need to be balanced. Using the example of the thyroid, if the ovarian, adrenal, and thyroid axis, which is also called the OAT axis, is involved, and you give thyroid medication, you can get some menstrual irregularities or even worsening PMS. Since things are already out of balance and your system is already stressed, your body has less of an ability to compensate. 
Cortisol also blocks progesterone receptors, which makes your body less responsive to progesterone. And with reduced progesterone activity, your body may experience signs of estrogen dominance, which include PMS and menstrual irregularities. When multiple organs and organ systems are involved and decompensating, the ability of your body to recover is harder. I know this sounds all doom and gloom, but it can actually range from really subtle nagging fatigue that just doesn't seem to go away no matter what you do, to things as bad as the inability to get out of bed or the loss of your period. So even though some of these things sound really terrible, it might not actually be quite as bad as it sounds, but it's all a matter of what the symptoms you're experiencing are. So absorbing and assimilating nutrients becomes harder. Your liver might not be functioning as well as it could be, even though your liver enzymes are normal. You might develop irritable bowel or food sensitivities due to increasing leaky gut. Not processing good nutrients can actually cause them to be harmful and create toxic metabolites that contribute to things like brain fog, joint pain, rashes, allergies, and more. This means that an adrenal recovery program that only focuses on the adrenals or the HPA axis is not going to get you a full recovery. So we've talked a lot about what doesn't work, but what does work? If you can get a comprehensive recovery strategy that takes into account all of the things that we've talked about, you can get some excellent results in a matter of days or weeks. The strategies that focus on controlling or managing symptoms, while they often feel like they'll get you results quickly, often do not. Focusing on the root causes, such as removal of stress or increasing resilience to stress, dietary habits, and proper use of supplements needs to be addressed. Nutritional support needs to be customized based on needs and sensitivity to supplements. In one of the episodes, I think it was the second one, so episode 20, I mentioned that vitamin C doses can range from anywhere to from 100 milligrams to 10,000 milligrams. Some people do better with ascorbic acid, others with buffered vitamin C. Some people can't take vitamin C at all. And again, the delivery system also matters, and what is most effective varies from person to person. Lifestyle factors also need to be customized to a person's need and genetic makeup. Avoiding sugar and caffeine is helpful for almost everyone, but when it comes to things like exercise, you need to make sure that you've had time to adjust and adapt to allow your body to adapt. And working with somebody who can recognize when you've done too much or when you're not doing enough can be helpful too, as we often have a very skewed view of what is actually working for us or what is not working for us. Dietary customization is important too. I've said it before, there is no one-size-fits-all approach here or anywhere else. Some people do better with more protein, some people do better with more fat, and some people do better with a lot of vegetables, and others do great eating plenty of nuts. Addressing these issues in a very systematic way with someone who understands how to adapt each facet and adjust along the way is critical to healing. If you've been dealing with adrenal fatigue and have not been seeing the improvements that you'd like, you need to take a really good look at your recovery program and see if you can improve it. And getting help from a qualified professional is almost always a good idea and can actually save you a lot of wasted time and even money on supplements that just aren't going to work. All right, I think that we're finally done with adrenal fatigue. If you have been enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you would leave a rating or a review in iTunes or the Apple Podcast app, and that just helps people to be able to find the show. If you have any questions, you can leave a comment on the blog post for this show, which will be at marthaflorence.com slash episode 23. You can send me an email or you can come find me on Instagram and leave a comment on my most recent photo with your question. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week. 